Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 136, Four Financial Mistakes First-Year Students Make. Last week, we shared an article from Affordable Colleges Online with the link in the show notes, highlighting four common academic mistakes first-year students make regularly. Today, we focus on the financial mistakes students make. These mistakes include not creating and keeping a budget, misusing credit cards, not having an emergency fund, and or missing important financial aid deadlines. Now, not creating and keeping to a budget is sort of the the prime mover problem here. And so we're going to talk about that first. College students and their parents, when they tend to think about college costs, they think a lot about tuition. But if you're living on campus especially, there's a lot of other expenses that are not covered by that fat tuition and fees bill. So you've got to think about housing, food, textbooks, and transportation, not to mention recreation and rest. All of these things require money. Who knew? And if you don't have a good idea of how to keep a budget when you start college, you will need to learn, and fast, because otherwise you may end up spending more money than you have. This is called living beyond your means. And then wind up unable to pay your bills. And that can lead to borrowing more money from various sources, including credit cards. Yes, that's borrowing. That's not free money. And family. And that can cause even worse problems down the line. So let's talk about this. Before you head to college, sit down with your family and make some lists. What your income will be and where it's coming from. What expenses to expect and who will pay for them. And whether you'll get a credit card. And if you do, what you'll use that card for. Income. If you're a middle class student, you may be able to depend on your parents providing some form of support while you're in school what kind of support that is can vary greatly. Some parents might write you a check to cover all your expenses every month, while others are only able to pay your tuition, leaving the rest of your expenses up to you. Be aware of this before you end up on campus eating only ramen noodles. If you're taking out student loans, remember, they will have to be paid back. So talk with your family about that expense and don't let it get out of hand. Too many adult graduates now are facing five-figure or even six-figure student loan debt. That's as much as a house would cost because they borrowed, but they didn't pay back while they were in school. And that's when reducing the principal balances would have been a lot easier. Are you going to get a part-time or full-time job when you're in college? Figure out what your paychecks will be, how often they'll show up, and what you'll use that money for. Don't spend your paychecks on frivolous stuff like a music festival or a trip to Disneyland unless that's part of your budget. Also, don't plan on getting paid immediately. Some jobs, especially on-campus jobs, they may make you wait as much as a month before the first paycheck arrives, so you got to be ready for that. Expenses. Basic expenses you can expect for school include housing, food, transportation, textbooks, a laptop, a printer, clothing, and recreation. Some of this can be bought with you if you have it. Sorry. Some of this can be brought with you if you have it. For example, if you already have a laptop and a printer, you're ahead of the game. But rent is due every month. Textbooks 
are pricey and non-negotiable. And of course, you got to eat. When it comes to food and housing, figure out if it's financially more feasible for you to live in the dorms and have a meal plan versus getting an apartment or renting a room near campus, shopping for groceries and cooking for yourself. If you're renting or sharing an apartment, remember you'll also be responsible for utility bills like electricity, gas, and water. And no matter where you live, you'll be responsible for your own phone bill unless your parents are paying for that. Also, think about transportation. Are you going to use public transportation like a bus or a subway to get to and from home and school? Will you bike or walk or do you have a car? And if you do have a car, remember, you'll have to cover gas, insurance, maintenance, and parking fees on campus. So try really hard not to depend on things like Lyft or Uber because they're going to suck away so much money so fast, you will drain your transportation budget within a week. You also need to think about clothing, especially if your school's in a place where the weather changes a lot. If you're in Southern California or Florida, the weather's pretty much the same year-round. But if your school's in Iowa or Colorado or New York, you're going to have to deal with seasons and changing weather and temperature and the need for several different sets of clothing. I'm sure Denour can speak to this because he went to school in Connecticut during the winter. Mm -hmm. As a Southern Californian, I can't even imagine that. And of course, when you start going to job fairs and taking on internships, you're going to have to have business-like clothing that looks presentable for interviews and the workplace. So you need to budget for that too. And of course, you've got a budget for textbooks. A good number to shoot here is around $1,500 to $2,000 per semester, more if you're in a STEM field. The textbook costs will also be front-loaded in your semester, so you'll need to have that money available when classes start. Here are some basic tips about how to create and stick to a budget while you're in college. The first one is the 50-30-20 rule. Elizabeth Warren put this idea forward in a book she wrote about personal finance called All You're Worth, The Ultimate Lifetime Money Plan. In this book, Warren recommends dividing up your income after taxes and putting 50% toward needs, 30% toward wants, and 20% toward savings. If you're a first-year student who's been living with your parents up until this point, you hopefully don't have debts you need to service, but if you do, it has to come out of the 50% of needs. Take the amount of money you'll have available for the semester and divide it by the number of months that money has to cover. If you don't have enough to cover your needs with 50% of that amount, you'll need to find ways to increase it, usually by getting a part-time job. Needs include things like food, clothing, housing, transportation, utilities, and insurance. Wants, on the other hand, include things like travel, entertainment, upscaler designer clothing, gym memberships, going out to eat or drink, and premium cable TV channels. It may feel like it's pinching to give up those things, but you can work out in the campus gym without a gym membership on those campuses, and you can save money for special things like travel or going out for a special dinner. The second thing about budgeting is you've got to plan out when you'll look at your budget because just like a planner if you don't look at your budget it doesn't do you any good make an appointment with yourself at least once every other week to pay your bills and figure out what you've got to do for the next two weeks what kind of money are you going to need online banking and budgeting apps can really help with this part of the budgeting chore that you're going to need to attend to the third thing is if you are already going to school when you finally start budgeting look at what you've been spending and how you've been spending it Many students need to learn to cut back on non-essential things so they can buy, you know, buy groceries or pay the rent. According to NerdWallet, two of the most common culprits here are food and fun. 
People tend to exceed their budgets on this or not even have a budget for this all the time. So set yourself a food budget, and yes, that includes going out to the burger place with your pals, and don't exceed it. In the same way, set yourself a fun budget, and don't go over that either. Now, we already mentioned that you need to talk with your family about things like income and expenses, and then we said credit cards. So let's talk about credit cards, the third thing that you've got to talk with your family about, because that's the second big problem that we've heard. It's too many students misuse credit cards, and they don't even realize that that's what they're doing. Credit cards are so tempting when you're broke and or when you're low on cash. They seem like free money. Zip the card through the reader, put the chip in. You can take home a brand new TV or a week's worth of groceries. But the problem is the bills come due quicker than you think, and they're an added burden on your budget. Still, college is one of the best times to establish a positive credit history and credit score. How do you do that? Simple. Buy some of the needs in your budget with your credit card and then pay the card off in full every month. So if you know your groceries are going to run you about $80 per week, buy them all on the credit card and then pay them off with your grocery money when the bill comes. In this way, you establish yourself as a dependable and creditworthy consumer as well as establishing the habit of paying off debt before it gets out of control. There are several ways you can establish a credit card. Get a student card, which will have a smaller spending limit. Get a secured card, where you deposit money into a secured account, and that amount is what you can spend against. Or have your parents set up an authorized user card on one of their credit cards. All of these make the risk to the credit card company smaller, which makes it more likely you can secure one of these kinds of cards. Now, one thing to be careful about, when your credit history gets good and your score goes up, you're going to receive lots of credit card offers. Don't, don't accept most of them. Okay, I want you to all imagine Admiral Akbar here from the old Star Wars movies. It's a trap, okay? You should have, at most, two credit cards. One that you use, like we've talked about, pay your groceries and then pay it off, and one you don't. Both of them should have paid off balances. Having open credit available, which you're not using, improves your credit score as well. And one suggestion, take that open card that you're not using, put it in a plastic container, fill the container with water, and stick that in the freezer. Literally freeze your assets. That way you won't be tempted to use the card for frivolous spending. You'll have to think about it, at least while you thaw it out. Also, make sure that you're using tools like AutoPay to pay your cards every month and set up a reminder so you don't forget to pay them. It's a good idea to make this part of your every two weeks budgetary check-in and bill paying session. The main rule with credit cards should be never buy anything on them which you can't immediately pay off with your income. And if you're using the 50-30-20 rule, you should have a small savings started which can help you in emergencies like a car breaking down, which brings us to... Not establishing an emergency fund. This is the third problem because emergencies and accidents happen. And often there's no way to prepare for them ahead of time, apart from financially. If you have a savings fund with $1,000 in it and your car suddenly needs a $450 repair, or you have to fly home because of a family emergency, you have the money available to cover that cost. That's part of what savings is for. If you can, start establishing an emergency fund before you leave for college so you have that peace of mind. If you need it, it'll be available. And if you don't, it can sit there and gather interest for you. Another trick to keep yourself from dipping into this fund unnecessarily is to hide the account from your regular view at the bank. 
Ideally, set it up so you have to actually talk to a person at the bank to transfer money from the savings account to your checkings account. This will make you think twice about using the money and whether it's really an emergency or not. Finally, the fourth big problem financially that students tend to have in their first year is missing financial aid deadlines. And in some ways, this isn't surprising. You know, you come to college and suddenly there's all these things you've got to remember. And if you have not been using a planner, and that's just me poking you to say, use a planner, okay, we're talking about our episodes 12 to 16, talk about that, you're more likely to miss important dates and deadlines, whether it's a test or something you had to turn into the financial aid office. So you've got to be aware of missing financial aid deadlines and make sure you don't. And this is a place where reminder systems and planners really come in handy. So set up several different alerts. Set up one on your online calendar. Set up another one using a reminder app. Set up some texts to yourself at textitlater.com or ohdon'tforget.com when you see the financial aid calendar for the year. That way you get notified early enough to do whatever financial aid expects you to be doing. If you miss a financial aid deadline, that might mean your tuition doesn't get paid. It may mean that you don't see a student loan disbursement or a scholarship disbursement. You want to avoid these problems if you can, I promise you. You should also meet with your college financial aid counselor at least once or twice a semester, just to make sure you're keeping on top of what they expect you to do, and again, to make sure that you're meeting their deadlines. So our experiences with it are mainly from our positions as college students, and I came back to school later in life. Denor, I don't know, did you go straight out of college or did you also, or, or straight out of high school? For undergrad, I did. I had a few years where I was tutoring between undergrad and graduate school. But you went straight from high school to college. So you go ahead, you talk first. So I learned the hard way in grad school, actually, about credit card misuse because the program I was in started to pay us around, I want to say, the beginning of November. The problem is, is we were there at the beginning of October, the end of September to start working. And so that meant we had about one month mm -hmm. that we had to cover. And I didn't know that the checks weren't coming, say, after that first week, week and a half. I didn't realize there's an extra month of waiting. And so I lived off of credit cards, both for expenses and for needs, but also for wants. And I racked up credit card debt pretty quickly because expenses add up. You know, gas adds up when you're in Southern California. Food adds up no matter where you are. Oil changes, whatever I needed, whatever I wanted to. And because it was early in the academic year, there are a lot of expenses as far as just getting ready for the school year. Well, I didn't do a good job of budgeting my money. And that meant I ran into problems. And it took me a really long time to pay off even one of the cards. I'm proud of the work I've done, and certainly using auto pay goes a really long way. I've talked on this podcast about having ADHD, and that means that for me, deadlines are a really, really tricky thing to remember. And so setting up auto pay has been a lifesaver because in the past, I might have missed a deadline and not realized I forgot a card until I got you know a nasty letter or a call. Now that I've got auto pay set up, I don't have to worry about that. And I know when the money is being deducted from my account, so I make sure to have enough money to cover those expenses. And another thing about the credit cards, you can actually ask the credit card companies to send you an email like 10 days before it's due to remind you, hey, this payment's coming up. You know, one of my credit cards, literally once a week, it sends me an email saying, hi, your current balance is this and your due date is that. 
and that kind of sensitizes me to, oh, right, on the 10th, I've got to make sure that I pay that because that's when my next check comes and it's due on the 12th. So I got to get that taken care of, right? So anything you can do to sensitize yourself to, hi, there's a deadline coming up, maybe a good idea. Uh, Denor, one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about, too, was talking about the clothing issue. Because since I've never went anywhere to school that had snow, I don't know what kind of budget you would need for stuff like, you know, heavy overcoats and boots and things like that. So can you talk about that for a minute? Sure. So I grew up in the Bay Area in San Jose. So going to Connecticut was a weather culture shock as well as just a general <laughs> culture shock for me. I think my nice overcoat was around 150 or 200 bucks. And that was mm -hmm. a nice long black coat. It was heavy, but you're also going to want to get gloves because New England winters. And if you're in the upper Midwest, places like Minnesota, places like Michigan, it Ohio. gets pretty, yeah, it gets bitterly cold. Ohio has the lake freeze effect or lake snow. So you want to budget for things like boots, uh, warm weather boots. You want to invest in good socks. You want to invest in gloves, in warm hats or beanies or toques. Uh, you want to invest in a nice scarf or two because not only can it look professional or look cute, it's also good for keeping your neck warm and you kind of need that during the winter out there. Mm -hmm. uh, so all of these are nice clothes, but they add up. And mm -hmm. be aware that you're probably, if you're moving for the first time to that kind of weather, and you don't have a wardrobe for cold weather already stocked up, you're probably looking at, I'll say 500 to a grand, depending on how many coats you buy, how many pairs of gloves, how expensive the boots are, but you're going to want to stay warm because no one wants to freeze when it's February and it's below freezing outside. You want to be nice and toasty. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is if you're not used to really hot weather, you also, like out here in Southern California, when the summers came, we're talking 115 degrees. And so for someone like Denor, who was from the Bay Area, where everything is always nice and calm around the 60s to the 70s, maybe the 80s, if it gets really hot. Like the other day, I had somebody, a friend of mine in, in the Bay Area say, oh, my God, I got up to 82 here. I don't know how you people do it. And I'm like, 82? <laughs> That's nothing, you know, because where I come from, 115 is normal summer weather. So you also need to remember that you're going to have to buy things like water bottles. You're going to need to make sure that you have decent but still, you know, modest enough clothing that you can wear it on campus without, like, getting pulled over by the purity police. But you need to wear light cotton. And there is actually a difference. You know, I don't know if you've ever ordered um, T-shirts online, but some of them are hella thick. And then some of them are thin like a handkerchief. And when you're in hot weather, you need the thin cotton. You need the stuff that breathes. You need the stuff that isn't going to insulate you and hold in your heat because it's already 115 degrees out. Okay? You have no interest in being fried to a crisp. Mm -hmm. And you definitely want the stuff that's moisture wicking. So be aware of the climate of the area that you're going to be moving to because those that clothing thing is a really big thing that not a lot of people think about. One thing that a lot of people just take for granted in Southern California and is in the desert areas, you need a hat that shades your face and a baseball cap will not do it. Okay. I remember when I was in high school. So in Southern California, People put on parkas when it gets to be about 50 degrees because we freeze our tuckus off when it gets to be about 50 degrees. There were two kids who had moved to our, to our school from Oklahoma. So you can imagine the winters that they went through. So they're looking at us as we're all walking around shivering on our ski jackets and our parkas and our hats in like 50 degree weather. And they're laughing at us because they came to campus in like September when the heat of the summer was already mostly peaked at that point, at least back in the 80s it was. But then 
and, and so they're walking around in shorts, you know, and, and T-shirts during the winter. And we're all looking at them like they're crazy. And that lasted right up until May when the first heat of summer hit. And we were looking at 95 to 100 degree temperatures. And the two of them were walking around going, we want to die. We want to go back to Tulsa. It's not this bad in Tulsa. We don't want to ever live here again. We hate it because it's so hot here. Because that concept of that level of heat just, it didn't click with them. And so, you know, and then the next year they were wearing parkas in the wintertime too, because they had adjusted to Southern California climate, but it takes about a year for you to adjust to the climate. So again, first years, you're going to have to spend, you know, not, not a gigantic amount of money, but you're going to have to budget for clothing that fits the weather. And that's a big thing. So going back to credit cards, I came from a working class background and neither of my parents was especially good with money. My dad was really good at borrowing us into deeper and deeper debt, which is why my parents lost their house. And I also, the first time I went to school, I was in community college. I was living at home and I didn't need a budget at all because community college at the time was like $10 a unit or something. I mean, it was incredibly cheap. But when I finally came back to school as a serious returning student in my early 30s, I already had quite a bit of credit card debt. And if I had known then what I know now, what I probably would have done is declared bankruptcy to give myself a clean slate on the credit cards going into college. And then I would have rented one room, not an apartment, and lived as minimalistically as I could to avoid student loans. And as it is, this advice that we had to compile about budgeting has already started conversations that I needed to have with creditors and with my partner. So in the long run, it's going to be a good thing. But I can't emphasize strongly enough that the best way to stay out of debt and financial trouble is to never get into it in the first place. So that's what we have for you in episode 136. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Patreon, and Android, and we're hosted on Blueberry.com. We have decided to no longer publish this podcast to Spotify, so if you found us there, please take a look at other podcast apps. We'll be there. And also, we'd really appreciate it if you could write a review of this podcast for us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 137, when Adam and I will talk about common personal mistakes students make in their first year. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.